Hey, we're in Revelation chapter 19, verse 17 through 21. Jesus is coming to rule. And all I can say is, hip, hip, hooray. If you would, stand for reading of God's word. We honor God by standing when we read his word. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. This is the word of God. Thank you, Father, for the word that you have for us today. It is admittedly a little gloomy with the birds eating the flesh and all that stuff. But thank you that you are coming, you are coming to rule, you are coming to reign, and one day all evil will be put down, and we say, thank you, Lord Jesus, even so come. Thank you for this time to study the inerrant, infallible word of God. Holy Spirit, please speak to each one of us truth that we need to hear today. Encourage us, Lord. Strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, by now, we've gone through 19 chapters of Revelation. The theme of Revelation is, you've heard this every week, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment, and Jesus is coming to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, and we cannot wait. Chapters 6 through 19 were the tribulation period. Jesus is returning to earth to take back what is rightfully his. Remember, the usurper came tempted Adam and Eve. And with that temptation, humanity lost rule of earth. And the rule of earth went to Satan. He is called the ruler of this age. In John 12, 31, Jesus says this, Now is the judgment of the, of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. In John 14, 34, The ruler of this world is coming. He has nothing on me. But hear this, Satan is a usurper. He does not own the world. God owns the world. How do we know that? Because God's word tells us this. Yes, in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell within. This world is God's world. There's a usurper in place that is ruling it now, but his time is short. Now, how does Jesus take back planet earth? Now, if you remember... When we had our teaching in Revelation chapter 5, there was a scroll, and you're going to get a picture up here of a scroll. And it was a seven-sealed scroll. And these seals were open, and Jesus would open the first seal, and that would be the first seal judgment, and so on. And he gets down to the seventh seal, and that opened the trumpet judgments. And the seven trumpet judgments, judgments, the seventh trumpet judgments gets played out, and it opens the bowl judgments. And remember, this is the deed to earth. I have a second one up here, a second picture of the scroll. And the only reason I did this was to show you that it's unraveled like this and that Jesus is taking off each seal and each seal is taking back something from the enemy until in finality, in, this, in the seventh bowl judgment, Jesus comes to rule. 
Now, each judgment gets worse and worse. The question that went through heaven prior to this Jesus opening the scroll was, who can open the scroll? Do you remember that in Revelation chapter 5? Who is qualified to open the scroll? There's a cry that goes out in heaven. And it says this in 5.3, No one in heaven or on earth was able to open the scroll. What was John's response? It was, woe is me, and he wailed. He wailed, he cried, he wept. Kaleo is the word. That means just guttering tears. Now the question goes out, and and this is what John must have been thinking. Has Satan won? Is this a permanent thing that is going to go on here? And I would say no. Because in chapter 5, verse 5, our hero, the Lord Jesus Christ, is proclaimed. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open the scroll. And that would be a time to say, thank you, Lord. I'm thankful for that. Now, how has Jesus prevailed? Jesus' death on the cross redeemed each one of us from the kingdom of darkness. And potentially, it has to be believed and received. But Jesus' death put this all into motion, gave us the ability to live forever with him. But also his death on the cross sealed Satan's defeat. Sealed his defeat. Hebrews 12, excuse me, Hebrews 2.14 says this, that through death he might destroy him. Destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus prevailed on his mission. He's the only one in the universe qualified to take back planet earth. No other religion can do this. No other person, no other great angel, only Jesus. And we've been through this many times. And again, he opens the judgments. And these judgments are all the wrath of Jesus. I think the wrath of of the lamb starts with the first seal judgment and goes all the way through to the seventh bowl judgment. Now hear this, this is a time, when we get to the bold judgments, when we were going through that teaching a few weeks ago, I I believe that those bold judgments are at the very, very end of the tribulation. Maybe a few weeks, a couple months, but it's at the very end of the tribulation. And I believe it is at this point that there are no more people that are savable. The earth dwellers are now running the show and they're going to fight against Jesus' return And I think that this is a time that there's no more last chance. What have the earth dwellers spurned? They've spurned the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that have been released into the world. And many people were saved up to that point. They spurned the two witnesses who were witnessing in Jerusalem at the temple for the first three and a half years. They've spurned the three angels that are going out. Remember the first angel is going all through the world with the gospel of Christ. The second angel goes out and says, Babylon has fallen. That's that evil world system that has been in place since the beginning of the fall of of mankind all the way through our time into the future when Jesus will deal with it. And then finally, the last angel says, don't take the mark of the beast. Whatever you do, do not take the mark of the beast. And the humans on the earth, the earth dwellers will reject that. Now, the next thing I have here is the is the bold judgments. I just put this in here to remind you one more time where we are. This, these are the worst judgments of all that are poured out on earth, on the earth dwellers and on Antichrist followers. We know that the Euphrates rivers will be dried up. We know that the demons will encourage the armies to meet in Megiddo to fight against God. And we know that Jesus will return. Jesus will return. The great city has destroyed Babylon. Jesus will return and he will set up his kingdom. And we will see the finality of that in chapter 19 today. 
Now, the question is this, and we covered this last week. How does Jesus enter our space-time continuum? Remember, he is in heaven now. And he's going to re-enter our space and our time. And he comes on a white horse in 1911. Jesus judges and makes war. He sees all. He has eyes of a flame of fire. His robe is dipped in blood. And this is the blood of his enemies. And all the earth will know who this one is coming on the white horse. You know why? Because on his robe and on his thigh is a name written that I believe everyone will see. And you know what that is? King of kings and Lord of lords. He is coming. The prophet Isaiah wrote about this 2,700 years ago when Messiah would come back and reign as king of kings and Lord of lords on this earth. No more other kingdoms will rise up. In Isaiah 9, 7, it says says this, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. This week, Jesus is coming to rule. And it starts out, watch how John starts. He's prepping us with these birds that are going to eat the flesh of all the dead. They're prepared. These birds have been prepared for this climactic event. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice. No one can miss this saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of Kings the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all the people, free and slave, both small and great. These are the earth dwellers that have rebelled against Jesus. No more rebellion. No more rebellion. This is calling all birds, okay? Calling all birds. These are flesh-eating birds that are called to the supper of the great God. Now, mind you, there's not going to be hummingbirds there. There are not going to be canaries coming to this. There's not going to be robins flying in and that sort of thing. No. You know what these are? These are birds of prey. These are, bir- they, these are carnivorous. Hawks, falcons, eagles, osprey, vultures, owls. And in our area here, you know, we have a lot of turkey vultures. Turkey vultures. And these are the nastiest looking things. Not yet. These are birds of prey. And what do they do? They clean up the mess of sin. Remember, there wasn't any death until sin. These birds of prey are cleaning up the mess of sin. Whether it's an animal, whether it's a human, they're cleaning it up. Sin brought death. Every time you see a turkey vulture, now you remember sin. And I want you to see how handsome these birds are. Watch this. Aren't they just beautiful? Isn't that just... These guys got an eye problem. He needs to go to the eye doctor. But he, this is some nasty stuff. He, they use these, just these, these beaks to just rip into the flesh. And these will be used to clean up after the great battle of Armageddon. And there's going to be lots of them called from all over the earth. Tony Garland has this to say in his, in his writings on this. He says, normally men are to offer up animals in sacrifice to God. Here is as when God judges on the mountains of Israel, he reverses the normal roles and offers up men as a sacrifice to the animals. Isn't that interesting? 
And then that took me back in my little scattered brain to, to David and Goliath. Now, it, this is kind of strange how I got there, but bear with me. Think about David and Goliath and flesh-eating birds. Goliath threatens David. Now remember, David has been with his dad, Jesse. Jesse tells him, go find out how the boys are with this battle with the Philistines. He goes to the front lines and he sees the whole nation of Israel cowering and this great giant belittling the people and belittling the God of Israel. And then David cries out in 1 Samuel 17, 29, and he says to his brothers and he says to everyone in earshot, is there not a cause for one of you guys to stand up against this beast? And what does David do? He says, I'll be the man. Moved by God. He had to be moved by God. Remember, he's about 17. He's a little pipsqueak. You'll see that in just a second. Goliath threatens David. He's, he's, in, he's enraged because this, the army of Israel has gotten this little guy to be their hero. And he's going to be running out into the battle. And, David, and Goliath says this, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds. That's how I got on this. The flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But David, not to be outdone, watch what he says. This day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air. I'll top you, Goliath, and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David is standing up for the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Can you imagine what Goliath thought when he heard David? He's never been spoken to in this way. He's never been approached in this way. And when, Goliath, when, when David picks up five smooth stones, we hear these words from David in 1 Samuel 17, 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, three weapons, plus an armor bearer. That's part of the entourage. But David says this, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, Jehovah Sabaoth, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and I will take off your head. Goliath has never been spoken to that way. And then Goliath in his shock, David comes running at him. David is all out for God. No hesitation. He runs towards this enemy. No second thoughts. Simply all out for God. And this is the picture that Mike Wachowski sent me about David and Goliath. And it is wonderful. This little sling. And watch the armor. He's got one vulnerable spot. And that's right between the peepers. And where does God direct this? Boom! And this Goliath goes tumbling down and becomes food for the birds of prey. His head is chopped off. Now I want to make an application from this. And anytime you've heard the thing about David and Goliath, you have your Goliaths that you have to overcome. And that's usually how, how, it's, how it's addressed. But I want you to think about this. We are facing today something unprecedented in this country. We are seeing a Goliath of massive change in our culture that has not happened since this country's been formed. Don't be intimidated by the change. No hesitation, no second thoughts, because you are in the army of the living God. Be all out for God in this battle. 
Folks, globalism is coming. A one world government is coming. A one world religion is coming. We know this because the scripture has told us we are not to be shocked. This is not, you know, don't get all, bite your fingernails and go, woe is me. Hey, we're on the winning team. Your tools, your weapons in this war are these. Remember, see what's going on around you. Don't cover your eyes and cover your ears. I'm not here. It's not happening. It's going to be okay. Everything's great and wonderful and perfect. That's what they thought when Hitler came into power in Nazi Germany. Everything's going to be, he's going to make everything great for the German people. And they covered their eyes and pretended his evil wasn't there. We are to see what's going on around us. Make a judgment based upon the word of God. We judge everything in concert, is in concert with the word of God. And then our action. What do we do when our actions? We speak the truth in the culture. If they're lying, we say, no, that is not the truth. This is what God says. This is what his word says. You're on the right side. David spoke truth to Goliath. And Goliath went tumbling down. Look at the change is scary. Any change we go through in our lives are scary. Anything. Our culture is changing and that's scary. We can admit that. But guess what? Your body's changing. Your body is changing. I mean, look at yourself. Your job can change. (laughs) Your family can change. It's scary. It's scary what's happening. God says to us, speak the truth. That tells me I'm not going to get Botox and I'm not going to get plastic. If you had this, it's up to you. But for me, I I am not going to come in here one day looking 20 years younger with all this stuff like this pinned back. No. These birds are here to clean up the mess. It's the end result of sin. These birds remind us of this. And these birds are nasty and it's to remind you that sin is nasty. And one last shot at this, so you never forget this beautiful bird that cleans up sin. Again, Bible prophecy tells us things are changing. You know, Bob Dylan wasn't a prophet. But he said this, The times, they are a-changing. Didn't he say something like that in the 60s? Yes. Folks, discern the times. Don't be dense. Don't become numb to what's happening around you. Don't cover your eyes and be blind. Discern the times. And by the way, do not listen to the fake news. Just turn it off. You aren't hearing the truth. It's just that simple. Have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth. Verse 19, watch the beast arrogance, the antichrist arrogance as he makes war against Christ. And I saw the beast, the antichrist, And the kings of the earth, all the nations aligned with him. And their armies gathered together at Megiddo to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. The Antichrist arrogance is off the charts. We know that's Satan's modus operandi is hubris, arrogance, pride. Is off the charts when he's possessed by Satan. Now, watch what happens. Do you remember in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7? Satan instigates, the dragon instigates a rebellion in heaven. This rebellion is put down post-haste by Michael and his angels. Satan and his angels are then thrown out out of heaven to earth. Heaven rejoices, but what did the scripture say? Woe to the earth. 
Woe to the earth. Satan's been cast down. Woe to the earth. And I think the first thing that Satan does when he is thrown to the earth is that he possesses Antichrist. And when he possesses Antichrist, I think his first thing that he does is let's go kill the two witnesses in Jerusalem at the temple. After that, he sets up the abomination of desolation. The Jews know, run for your life. Remember, we did this many times talking about run to Basra, run to Petra. That's your safe place. That's the sheepfold in the center, the cleft of the rock. We had all those pictures in our last teaching. And so they're, they're, they're running for their lives. Satan's Antichrist then chases this army that is running to, to, to Basra for protection. What happens? The earth opens up, swallows up the army, and Satan in a fit, because his army has been defeated and because the remnant has escaped, in 1217 goes this, he turns his attention on the woman, Israel, and it, he turns on the offspring, those who keep the commandments of God. Those who are Yahweh worshipers who refuse to bow to Satan and worship Antichrist. He tries to kill them. He wants them dead. These aren't saved yet. They will be saved when Jesus comes back, but not yet. And the second group he attacks are those who have the testimony of Jesus. Those are the tribulation saints that believe in Jesus Christ. Now, when Satan came to this earth, he was looking for someone to possess because in the spirit realm, they are, the spirit realm is, is, is made for spirit areas. They function in this domain with, human, with humans much better than they do without humans. See, the spirit realm, the demonic realm, they can attack your mind. But put them in a body, they can also attack your person. They can interact in a different manner. So that's their goal. Now think about this. Those angels that are cast out with Satan, what do they want to do? They want to possess people. So what do we see today? We see demonism increasing exponentially. And I want you to think about this. Think about this. What do you think the UFO phenomenon is all about? Yeah, people on other planets coming here. I mean, no, no, these, I think this, these, are, these are demonic entities entering into our time-space domain. And notice how you always see them. A speck. Oh, that speck moved fast. Oh, oh, you never see anything up close. I think this is preparation. Making probes to the earth for their time when, they, when they're going to engage humanity like never before. It's not allowed yet. Massive demonism at, will be at play during the last half of the tribulation. The last half of the tribulation. Satan is not omnipresent. And he will use these entities to inhabit other people to affect the rest of the world and to enforce globalism in his agenda. That's what I think is going to happen. The global community, folks, has bought into the great delusion that Antichrist is the Christ. That will be the problem at that time. And they think they can fight against the true Christ return. That is what it says. And the, and the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. That's what they think. The armies are at Megiddo. They have gotten there because the demons have directed them there in Revelation 16, 13, and 14. 
The kings of the earth east will be there. That's China and the Arab nations. The kings of the north are Russia and its alliances. The kings of the south are the nations of Africa. The kings of the west are the western alliances with Europe, America, Canada, South America. A global conglomeration to make war against the Lamb. The king of kings coming to take over earth. Satan, the Satan deluded earth dwellers, hear this, will actually think they can stop Jesus from coming. They actually think they can do this from from returning. And let me say this loud and clear. The longer a person is immersed in sin, the crazier they become. Sin makes you crazy. Makes you delusional. Verse 20 and 21. The fatal end of Antichrist. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he, oh, here's his his calling card, deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with fire and brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now the ones killed with the swords are the earth dwellers. The ones who have bought into Satan's lie. And they are fighting against Christ. They will die. They will die by the word of God. Now watch this. Early in the battle, right out of the chute, I think we see the beast and the false prophet are captured. And remember their calling card always, always, always with Satan is deception. And the ones who are deceived are are mentioned in verse 20. The ones that that received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Those are the ones deceived. Now, how were the people at that time deceived? What was the methodology that was used? And I would say this, it was the false signs and wonders. Not meaning that they weren't really happening, but they were designed to take people away from the true God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says this, the coming two nine, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, oh, with all power, signs, and lying wonders to take people away from the true God. Who are the ones that get duped? Verse ten, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. These are the ones that get the strong delusion. The strong delusion that these people get is they believe that Antichrist is the real Christ and that they indeed are fighting against a foreign invader. Satan has deluded them, has deluded them. Lying signs and wonders. And I want you to hear this loud and clear. The demonic realm can do today lying signs and wonders. They don't, don't just buy into something because you see something mystical and, and magical happening before your eyes. In Hinduism, there's all kinds of signs and wonders, all kinds of strange stuff. That's demonic. It's demonic. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1 through 5, it was very specific that these false teachers, these false prophets could do signs and wonders empowered by the demonic realm. These, are, these signs and wonders were meant to take people away from the true God. And what was the nation of Israel to do with these people? They were to stone them, put them to death, 
have nothing to do with them. Don't buy in to the lies. As we get closer to the end, these magical, mystical signs and wonders will become more prevalent. Be very careful that you don't get duped and sucked into this. Now, what is the beast and the false prophet's destiny? Well, we know it's the lake of fire. Where do we find these two a thousand years later? In the lake of fire. And Satan's ultimate residence, his abode, will be the lake of fire. Now, that's a good place for him to be. Revelation 20.10, the devil who deceived them was cast, thrown, just tossed with fervor, into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. They've been there for a thousand years. And they were tormented day and night forever and ever. You know, you hear people say, oh, I'm going to go to hell and spend time with my friends and we're just going to party hardy. What a delusion. You talk about sin making you crazy? That is a crazy statement. That word tormented means torture, pain, suffering, and a sense of always being at the bottom, at the bottom in the dirt. And it sounds to me like the lake of fire is eternal, not temporary. And it's miserable. The final abode of all who reject God. Now the question for you is this. That's the Antichrist. That's the false prophet. That's Satan. But what happens to the earth dwellers? What happens to the global army in rebellion against God that were killed with the sword that proceeded from the, from the mouth of God? What happens to them? They don't go to the lake of fire. Do they? No. They go into a different place. Their temporary abode is called torment. Torment. Their final abode will be the lake of fire. That's Revelation 20:15, but that'll be after the thousand-year millennial reign. So in Luke 16, verse 19 through 30, we have two people. The rich man is in torment, and Lazarus is in paradise. And we have a picture here of this. I think I've used this in the past. Those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior have entered through the narrow gate, go to paradise. Remember, Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go in by it. Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. There is a great gulf fixed. Evidently, you could see between these two places. The rich man is here, wants somebody to go back and tell his family, don't come here, don't come here. And Jesus said they have the prophets and Moses and all that stuff. If they, don't believe, they wouldn't even believe if someone rose from the dead if they're not going to believe the word. This is where people were before this was emptied. When Jesus was resurrected, he emptied paradise. Now paradise is in heaven, but torment is still there. Okay, now this is very important. When you die today as a believer, in a nanosecond, in an instant, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Okay, so today when a non-believer dies, they are confirmed in their torment, awaiting the great white throne judgment. They are in, they're in torment. Today when a believer dies, he or she is absent from the body and present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5.8. Now remember, Jesus, when he was on the cross, said to the thief next to him, who believed at the very end, this day you will be with me in paradise, not heaven. So I believe that Jesus went to paradise, 
He set the captives free in Ephesians 4.8. And when he resurrected, when he went to heaven, he emptied out paradise. And now we have heaven to look forward to. Paul said this, interesting, in 2 Corinthians 12.4. He was caught up to the third heaven, and he called it paradise, and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now think about what was just said there, okay? Again, paradise is now in heaven. What do we see today with people that have visions of heaven? Are they uttering what they saw? Paul couldn't utter what he saw. He was given a thorn in the flesh, wasn't he? So he wouldn't become prideful. But these people are on Oprah, book tours, speaking tours, movies, movies. Look it. Don't believe what all, all that you're hearing, okay? We have information that we can trust in God's word. We know that we're going to go to heaven, and we know it's something that we're not going to be able to explain or, or tell anybody else about. It's going to be so majestic that we can't, we might, we won't have the words to describe it. In a nanosecond, we'll be with our God. That's, that's hope forever with Jesus. Now, some closing thoughts. Jesus is coming to rule, okay? And you know that the battle rages, the battle rages, it'll rage to the end. We see the tribulation period ending in our teaching today. Jesus is coming to rule. He is the victor. And Jesus will establish his kingdom. This is a fait complete. More and more people are saying, oh, I don't believe this stuff. I don't believe it's Jesus stuff. I believe what's happening in the world. That is delusion. Don't fall for the delusion. Now, what will the millennial kingdom be like? Well, we know it'll be a thousand years long. At least we know that from scripture. We'll see that next week. And we know that the millennium will be a wonderful place, but it won't be perfect. Now, that might be a shock to you. Remember in Revelation 19, 15, Jesus was going to rule with a rod of iron? Why is that? Because there's sin in the millennial reign. That is why. Perfection does not come into the eternal state. Now, Andy Woods in his work has this slide. And he shows the eternal state, which is a new heaven and a new earth, and the millennium, a remade earth, making it habitable. It'd be a nice place. There will be water here. There will still be rebellion. There will be tribal land. But the big thing is that sin will still exist. That there will be people born into the millennial reign that have to believe that Jesus Christ is a Savior. Everyone that is saved goes into the millennium. But they will have children. And those children will have children. And those children will have children. On and on and on. Those have to believe in Messiah. There is no sin in the new eternal state. No sin. That is the main thing that you want to see here. So, with that stated, what is the purpose for the millennium? This isn't in your notes, so just hear this. Mark Hitchcock, in his book, The End, says there's three reasons for the millennial reign. That has to happen. A lot of the church are amillennial. They don't believe in a millennial reign of Christ. That's tragic. That's a majority of the church, but that, that would be wrong. Number one is to reward the faithful. God is a rewarder of those who seek after him. Secondly is to redeem the creation. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. They'll go back from being carnivores to being herbivores and everyone will get along. The, the bear, you're not going to be running from the bears in Yellowstone. Okay. They're not going to be coming to try to eat you or anything like that. 
And thirdly is to realize the covenants. And I think the most important covenant, well, one of the most important, was the Abrahamic covenant that there would be a people and that there would be a land. And if you remember, we've seen this picture before, but this is the nation of Israel, a small strip of land that all the world hates. The whole world. Look at anti-Semitism that is spreading all over the world. Not just the Arab countries, but all over the globe. It, this land was expanded under Joshua and David. Okay, But this is about the area that they occupied. This is the land promise in the Abrahamic covenant. This will be attained in the millennium. Now, people that do not believe in a millennium, I don't know how they deal with fulfilling these promises that God made to the nation of Israel. There's also a Davidic covenant that Jesus will reign on the throne of David. And there is the new covenant that we're grafted into this new covenant that God will give the people of Israel a new heart. He'll take their heart or stone and make it into a heart of flesh, soft and malleable, and they will all believe. The millennium is not optional. It must occur for God to be truthful and faithful to his word. Now, what will we be doing in the millennium? Now, I've heard people say this. I think it's going to be boring just saying, holy, 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 holy for a thousand years. That's not what you're going to be doing for a thousand years. You're going to be reigning with Christ. Now, you know, some people say, well, I don't want to be a bird watcher for a thousand years or you know, a gardener or campfire singing. Look at your reign will be spectacular and it will depend on what you've done for Christ while you're here. Now, what are those things that you're going to do for Christ while you're here? Every one of you that has said yes to the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe you died for me. Your sin, you bared my sin on the cross. You substituted in my place. You've been born again in the family of God. You have been given something special, special, special. And that is a spiritual gift that God has given to you. What is the purpose of the spiritual gift? To edify or build up the body. What are we to do with our spiritual gift? Well, glad you asked. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, As each of you has received a gift, minister it to one another as, as, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So you have spiritual gifts. I think your judgment will be based a large part on that, but that's not it. That's not the, that the whole thing. The second thing I think that will be significant, and we talked about this last week, have you been an overcomer? Have you been a Nikeo, a victor, a conqueror over, over the, your triunity of evil, the world, the flesh, and the devil? Have you made progress in that area? Or are you still just caving to every little carrot that Satan puts out there? That's the question. Are you a conqueror? And finally, at the Bema Seat Judgment, is the things that you did for Christ really for Christ? Or was it for your show? Is it going to be gold, silver, or precious stones, or wood, hair, stubble? That judgment is a judgment of our works after salvation, determines rewards or loss of rewards. We've been through this many times. I want to suggest something to you. Maybe you haven't thought this, thought about this, but I think this is true. I believe that Jesus can't wait to reward you. I think he's looking forward to that. And I think you're looking forward to hearing well done, good and faithful servant. Did you catch the word? Servant. Servant. 
The key to success in God's kingdom is servanthood. And I want to take you on a little journey. Please bear with me. We will be on time. The battle rages in each one of us. Okay, we're here in this mess called earth. We are in this flesh. Our flesh is pitifully depraved. We have been saved. We have the Holy Spirit. And we're in a process of change. Our whole life after we're saved is in a change of being more and more conformed to the likeness of Christ. We know that. The question is this. Will I serve my Lord or will I be a steward of what he has given to me? Will I serve my Lord or will I serve me, myself, and I? The battle rages. Are we going to be a flesh servant or are we going to be a God servant? And I want to say this to you. The one that you feed, you've heard this before, is the one that will rule. You must feed your spirit. That means you have to get away from the stuff of the flesh. We can't totally do that. But we want to be making some progress in that direction. We are stewards of everything that we have. Now the question is this, what do I mean by a steward? It's a manager of another's affairs. We are simply stewards of what God has given to us. And I think if I could just make this echo through this room and throughout our world, whatever we have, it's not mine. Everything I have is God's. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a caretaker, a manager of what God has given you. And I am a steward of three things. Listen to this. Who I am. I am a steward of who I am. I want people to see the new me in Christ and less of the old me that always wants to come out. 2 Corinthians 15, 5, And he died for all, that's Jesus, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We are stewards of our lives. Are we giving our lives to him? Secondly, I'm a steward of what I have. And remember James 1, 17, Every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights who does not change like sifting sand. A steward cares for what they are given. And thirdly, what I do. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Who I am. What I have. What I do. That is what I am a steward of. All of it. All of it is all for the glory of God. This is what a bondservant of God looks like. Everything given to God. Everything for his glory. Remember, James was a bondservant. Peter was a bondservant. Paul was a bondservant. What is a bondservant? Remember, the word is doulos. You've heard it many times. A willing slave of the master. My will consumed with the will of my master. I want to serve him. I want to please him. In everything that I do. I want you to think about this. I want to close with these words from John Wolverd. Just to give you a review of the goodness of God and the wrath of God. John Wolverd says this, quote, The word of God makes plain that God so loved the world that he gave his son. And everyone loves that one. It's all over stadiums. I mean, we love that one. And all who avail themselves of the grace of God are immeasurably blessed 
in time and eternity, and that is the truth. Okay? He goes on. On the other hand, the same word of God states plainly that those who spurn God's mercy must experience his judgment without mercy. That also is the truth. That part you rarely hear. That part you rarely hear. But God is a God of love. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of grace. But he is also a just judge. And his wrath will be poured out on those who reject and reject and reject him. How foolish it is to rest in the portions of the word of God that speak of the love of God and reject the portions that deal with his righteous judgment. How foolish is that? The present age reveals the grace of God, and we are in the grace dispensation and suspended judgment. The age to come, while continuing to be a revelation of the grace of God, will give conclusive evidence that God brings every evil work into judgment, and those who spurn his grace must experience his wrath. This, too, is truth. May it be said of you, overcomer, conqueror, that you were forever faithful, that you made faith choices more and more and less flesh choices. It's up to each one of us. Am I going to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord? Am I going to make faith choices? Or am I going to just continue to be stuck in the mud of the same old me? The one you feed will be the one that dominates. A bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ or a bondservant of your flesh, which are you? And I'll tell you, it's an honor. It's a privilege to serve our Lord. And think about your future. Jesus is coming to rule. And it will be worth it all. You know the, you know the song, When We See Jesus. It will be worth it all. Remember, this is Jesus' world. And he's coming to take it back. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. And those who dwell within it. Jesus owns this and he's coming to take back what is his. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. Thank you for allowing us to, to have your word. That we can know what is truth and what is not truth. Please speak to each one of us things that you want us to hear. We need you, Lord. We're living in a dark time. We're living in a time where there's so many lies that are being spewed at us on a continuum. May we be able to sift through the lies and see the truth in our culture. Speak to our hearts today things that we need to know. Lord, I ask you this in the name of Jesus, please. We need you. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.